0: A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there were some dudes that thought it would be a cool idea to mine cryptocurrency. Only a handful of people even knew what Bitcoin was, and you've got to wonder if they had any idea just how valuable one Bitcoin would become. Today, we're pleased to welcome one of those dudes to the show. Marshall Long's claim to fame is that he was one of the very first Bitcoin miners, and he's got a lot to say about the crypto that gives this show its purpose. So let's hop into the hot tub time machine and set it for a time when one Bitcoin was worth less than $1, as we invite you to enjoy episode number 142 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. This is Brad Garlin, CEO of Ripple. Keep listening to the Bad Crypto Podcast
1: and stay bad.
0: Hot tub is the water warm? Ha! Is door. the water is the water wet? Who hot in the hot tub? Hot well, 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 well. Hot tub, jump back in my tail. Welcome to, to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the Bad Hot Tub Podcast and we're just we're chilling in the tub it's a comfortable 102 degrees and uh y'all can come on in but you know keep it keep it uh clean okay
2: okay sounds good no yeah no no bodily fluids in the hot tub (laughs) gross you just (laughs) went there i I tend to do that i tend to do that we got an interview today i'm actually excited about the interview now but i'm not actually going to
0: be on the interview uh, no you're not it's gonna it's about to be a surprise and before we tell you about that want to thank our sponsor why don't you tell them about our sponsor mr travis right
2: new alchemy is our sponsor they're a leading blockchain strategy and technology group they do a lot of ico services they do security audits broker dealer services token mechanics uh, other marketing service type stuff they are our sponsor uh this episode and uh they like to work with innovative companies and tokenization projects worldwide. So you can check out New Alchemy at newalchemy.io.
0: Yeah, they're mixing up the, uh, the potions there to make blockchain magic. So go check them out. Thanks, guys, for sponsoring us. And, and uh, all y'all, go check them out. And now we've got some news here, Mr. Travis, right? Because we have been talking for quite some time about the Bad Crypto first birthday bash. Guess what? It's coming up. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening.
2: It really is. It will be an event in Denver. So we're not doing the bad crypto con like we were originally thinking about doing. Too much work. Too Too much work. work.
0: It it looked like work. It did. And uh, we were like, eh. It it didn't jive with the fun formula at this point, which, by the way, thanks to uh, all of you who purchased a copy of the fun formula and Travis's book, Digital Sense. You guys got bad coin. And uh, if you missed that, mm, well, sucks to be you, but you could still go get the book, funformulabook.com. Anyway, the birthday bash, July 18th, marks the date that we released the very first episode of the bad crypto podcast and who knew mr travis Wright, that this journey would take you and i to where we are now is one of the top crypto shows
2: in the world well you know mr Joel we had no idea we had an inkling of an idea that it was going to be a fun show that um there are going to be some people out there who might be interested in what we have to say and we were having conversations anyway the whole thing is that you and i were talking we were talking tokens anyway and and so we decided to go ahead and create a show and here we are um 11 months later now and we have one one month left and uh, we're gonna throw a little party in denver not a big yeah. party but it'll be a fun party and you're gonna meet us hang out with travis and Joe's, yeah and um uh,
0: yeah. Travis White. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be July 18th in Denver, Colorado. It's going to be somewhere downtown. Now, the event's going to be free, and you. but we need you to let us know if you're going to come. And so there's an Eventbrite page set up where you can register. It's at badco.in forward slash birthday duh, badco.in forward slash birthday, go and register and, you know, for as many tickets as you need and let us know if you're going to be here. I haven't selected a venue yet because I want to kind of get a head count before I pick a place, you know, since I'm not paying for the place. Um, I just want to make sure that, you know, if it's, if it's going to be a smaller group, then we'll go somewhere where, you know, we could fit in a small room. If it's going to be a bunch of y'all, we don't know how many y'all are going to turn out. So if you're in Denver, super easy to make sure that you're There. It's probably going to start around six o'clock at night and go till whenever. We're done. Um, If you're coming in from out of town, it is going to happen. I just don't have the location for you yet. So, if you're flying or driving in from out of town, go ahead get registered and then book a hotel anywhere downtown Denver. It's not a big downtown. Anywhere you book that you like is going to be close enough to where the event is going to be. And probably the week before, we'll announce on the show where it's going to be, and we'll also send an email to everybody who's registered via Eventbrite. We'll put on the bad crypto mastermind but uh, yeah come hang out with us and celebrate our first birthday and uh, travis doesn't want any presents but i do
2: yeah no i'm just really excited that we've done this thing for a year now that's um that's it's my longest relationship ever
0: <laughs> it's gonna be great fun now travis you're here right now but this interview with uh, marshall substitute pinch hitting for mr travis Wright on the interview that you're about to hear is our bad crypto correspondent rachel wolson who writes for forbes and of course you've heard her here on bad crypto before and uh and and we're gonna
2: well what's what's interesting about this dude is i mean if you have seen the netflix uh documentary what is it betting on bitcoin or whatever it was called this dude was in it pretty heavily and he and then i mean because when i saw his picture i was like oh yeah i seen that dude on that documentary he has it, built big big mining outfits if i'm if i'm correct like he's talking like really really big ones and so i think he got into bitcoin early got some profits and then said oh my god this is going to be huge and then started building really really big mining warehouses if, if i'm not mistaken
0: Mm -hmm. And he's done a lot of things and is on to some new projects. And uh, Rachel and I are going to talk about that with him. And uh, and yet through the miracle of recording, Travis is actually going to be back here after the interview to try and figure how that works. There's so many different types of marshals. You got the Marshall Islands. You got um, Leaving Sarah Marshall, which is a pretty good movie. You got Marshall Law, which, of course, I know is spelled differently, but it sounds the same. And it's really funny when people spell it the wrong way anyway. But this is a different kind of Marshall we have with us today. And we also have a different co-host with me for this interview. I'd like to welcome the one and only Ms. Rachel Wolfson, our resident crypto uh, correspondent. Hey, Rachel, how are you doing?
1: Hey, Joel, doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: The gentleman we have with us today, I'm super excited. His name is Marshall Long. He's a different kind of Marshall. He's the CTO of Final Hash. He's the co founder of EOS.fish. And Marshall is an expert in peer to peer economy. He's been in the blockchain space for a very long time. And he's considered to be one of the first Bitcoin miners to systematize mining he's also into the esports industry as the ceo of market esports he's listened to the show and he's still here to talk with us anyway welcome to bad crypto marshall long
3: hey guys thanks so much uh pleasure to be here of course i would be here you guys are the best yeah, we're the baddest at least we appreciate
0: that yeah, that's kind so my first question is are you satoshi nakamoto
3: uh can either confirm nor deny. well you got to do
0: one or the other either confirm it or deny.
3: uh how about we just
0: say whatever you want it to be? <laughs> well, let, let me let let's drill down then. do you know who Satoshi Nakamoto
3: is? I feel like uh me and a, a few a few people have a fairly good grasp on on who or or what? Or who it may be or not
0: yeah, it may not be. But you're not you're no, not talking that, basically. Of course okay. not. I like my head. I want to keep it attached. Yeah, that that's, that's good. I've seen your head. I've seen pictures and it is attached to your shoulders. So uh, I I kind of gave, not because you're like, you know, all about yourself, though, right? It's not like you have big head syndrome.
3: Uh, It's just actually I have a big head. (laughs) So it's not proportionate. Not at all. Can you tokenize that? Uh, We're actually doing big head ICO coming uh, next week. Uh, Stay tuned. That's like,
0: wait, you could do that because, you know, Silicon Valley did Pied Piper. And of course, big head is one of the characters. So you could totally do that. You know what? I bet Rachel has better questions than me.
1: <laughs> no, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying the whole idea of a big head token right now. <laughs> okay, so Marshall, first question, first serious question. Tell us about your background.
3: Yeah, so I kind of uh heard about this while doing other things. I used to be an engineer um and then switched to being a developer. And right around that time, it was about twenty ten, early twenty ten, a buddy and me were working on a uh an iPhone app that would track your golf head as you were swinging to kind of help you get better at golfing and went to lunch one day and he said, Hey man, you got to check out this really cool nerd money. I didn't understand it. And at that point I wasn't familiar with like mesh networking and all this kind of stuff. So I went home and couldn't really Google anything. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to figure out the mining side. And I just destroyed my, what was then a gaming computer for about two weeks, trying to figure out what was going on and, how to set up everything, and we immediately—I I immediately started mining, and I thought it was cool. And I didn't have any kind of idea about financial liberty and and all the cool things that are kind of now out in the open. I just thought it was a cool nerdy experiment, and and then I, you know, GPU mining came out, and I thought. I got even more nerdy. I said, oh, man, I'm going to get free graphics cards by mining. What what year coins. was this?
0: When did you start? So I, I started mining in 2010. OK, so at that point, Bitcoin was worth what?
3: I mean, really, it wasn't really worth much. The, the only coins I bought around that time were over the counter just with some buddies at a local hackerspace in Houston. And then in Dallas, there was a, a small there's like two guys doing it. And then somebody mentioned to me, hey, you know, it's illegal to make your own money, right? I was like, oh, shit, OK. <laughs> and and. I mean it is. So I, at that point I got real quiet and didn't really associate with many people. I think the pricing may have been around, you know, 50 cents or something like that, but even if you could find pricing and at at that point it wasn't really in 2010 it wasn't really for money. I just thought it was cool to be able to send a token to a friend and he get it on his computer and it went from me to him and That was interesting.
0: Yeah, and I would imagine like many people who mined early and accumulated ridiculous amount of Bitcoin, when it went to like $5 or something or $10, you were probably like, holy cow, this is actually worth something and I'm going to sell.
3: So at that point, I was, I guess, fortunate enough to be very lazy. And actually, my laziness has proved very beneficial in the crypto space. (laughs) That sounds weird. But uh, so when I first found out about Mt. Gox, the way you would have to sign up and, and move your cash to Mt. Gox in order to purchase, you had to open a Diwalla account, which is kind of like a crappier version of PayPal. And you would have to transfer money from... So you have to open a Diwalla account, and that took like a week. And then you have to deposit money, and that took another week. And then you would have to transfer it from your Diwalla account to Mt. Gox's Diwalla account. And I just was like, man, this is just ugh, so... And I wasn't interested in doing it. And I just kind of let it, just didn't even worry about it and just kept mining. And then when the price started really taking off, like past 20 bucks, past 30 bucks, 50 bucks, Diwalla and the U.S. government seized all of Mount Gox's dowala money. So at that point, I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'm glad I didn't have anything in Diwalla anyway. And this is about, I don't know, maybe about a year before... They quote unquote got hacked. So not only did my laziness stop me from selling early, but it also stopped me from getting hacked in Mt. Gox. So there you go.
1: Laziness pays off.
3: Today we call laziness hodling. Yeah. Or hodling <laughs> yeah. is
0: those who like to correct me. But it just, I, I, it looks better as hodl. And uh, that's, I'm, I'm going to stick to that.
3: It's just weird to say hodl, right?
1: Did you realize when you were mining Bitcoins in the early days that it would actually amount to anything? Like, did you did you know that to begin with, or were you just doing it for fun as a gamer?
3: At the very beginning, when I just knew about Bitcoin, I didn't think it was going to be anything big. I just thought it was cool. The first yeah. kind of inkling of an idea that, that I thought, not just Bitcoin, but this other kind of way of doing you know, development could be something is when Namecoin launched. When Namecoin launched, for those who aren't familiar, it's a decentralized DNS system. And so right now, you know, we have ICANN, that's the centralized repository for all domains. What Namecoin allowed us to do was to basically not have to use ICANN and you can buy .bit domains in a decentralized fashion. And I still today think that's like the most ridiculous concept ever. Um, unfortunately, Namecoin's kind of died off. Uh, there are other kind of competitors to it now, but that was the first time right when Namecoin launched. I thought, whoa. That's something very, kind of non-trivial and very novel. That was the first mm-hmm. chance I really kind of had to think of what what it could be. Because I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I come from a small family in the middle of Texas, and we weren't, you know, well off growing up. But so I, I didn't really have a concept of this being like a new, new money. But when a decentralized DNS came out, that's when I first was like, "Wow, this is this could be really sick."
0: So. When you know today, there's so many events, and some of them are teeny tiny. Some of them have big promises, and and they don't deliver. But events had to start somewhere. Where was the first time you went to a crypto event that you thought, you know what, this is arriving. This is a big deal.
3: That's a great question, actually, because up until the very first Senate hearing, I think that was 2012, when. The, uh, I said that was the first time and only time I've ever sat and watched c-span and the overwhelming consensus was Bitcoin is okay don't shut it down and at that point that's when I kind of got more involved into the scene the first time I knew that this could be a big thing was at that moment if I thought well big government kind of hearing about this stuff I guess it's a big deal as far as the first time I really felt that it was more than just a, a nerd project you know when when you used to tell people you're in bitcoin the first reaction was isn't that some kind of drugs or something the the moment that i kind of knew that it wasn't a, a nerdy project was probably 20 the end of 20 maybe the middle of 2013 the first inside bitcoins conference i ever went to the people i saw there were not just developers which was the normal scene i was used to hanging out to it was more you know business minded people and there was maybe one or two investment-minded people, and I thought, "Whoa, that's uh, kind of interesting." And I, I, I knew it was profitable, of course. I mean, mining in 2013 was the most ridiculous time of my life. But I just thought, okay, it's it's just a vehicle for making money. At that point, it wasn't until kind of right around the middle of 2013 where I thought this could be more than just a monetary device.
0: You know, that was the most ridiculous time of your life. But if you play your cards right, this could become the most ridiculous time of your life, right here, right now. Let's on, make it happen, on, ba- Joel, on the uh, Bad Crypto Podcast. Bad Crypto, it's going to get super ridiculous. Uh, you know, maybe you can bust out a Weird Al Yankovic song or, or something like that. Hey, the weirder, the better. Right? So let's talk about Bitcoin mining then. Uh, you know, what do you think of the current bitcoin mining landscape do you think it's it's healthy do you think that uh, we're it's getting too centralized with you know I, I just read a story that you know chinese miners are holding 50 percent of all bitcoin i don't know how accurate that is but you know what are your thoughts
3: on this so i i it's it's an interesting time i've kind of seen a, a, the scene change a few times so in 2013 the the big scenes were kind of a little bit in china um, but also a lot of the stuff in the states, um, so Washington, Texas, and it was very more geographically distributed. Then after it went from a you know twelve hundred bucks to a couple hundred bucks, that kind of got all the people out who didn't build their operations properly because they couldn't afford to produce at such low pricing. And then you start to see this migration from the states and Canada, and and some of Northern Europe to just China. And some in the States and some in Canada and some in Sweden. And that for, you know, from 2014 to basically the beginning of 2016, even, there was a lot in China. There was a conference called Scaling Bitcoin, which was in Hong Kong. On that stage, uh, during the conference, and you, you can look this up on YouTube, there was a, a panel where about 95% of the world's hash rate was sitting. And it was like me and maybe seven other people. and. Six of those people were from China. Those those days were much more centralized. As far as the coin being centralized, the Chinese guys have a lot different outlook on uh, crypto than most people. What they'll do is, and they have really cool contracts in place too. They have, you know, some of them actually have power companies that are partnered up with them. Not on like a, we'll give you free power in exchange for a piece of the company, but actual the power companies are holding crypto too, which is really interesting. As far as how they run their operations, there's a lot of different incentives in Asian countries where they have capital restrictions. You know, you'll have people that if they want to move money out, they'll just buy mining hardware, mine crypto, whether it be Bitcoin or whatever. And then once they've recouped enough, then they'll send the crypto out. So you have uh, different mechanisms in Asia than you do... Anywhere else? Some of that being because of the, the nature of some of my friends that just really like to gamble on pricing, and you know that coupled with capital flight restrictions uh, can lead to some interesting you know scenarios.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, what projects are you working on now? Yeah,
3: so there's a there's a lot of stuff kind of going on now. I guess we're getting pretty diversified now. In 2015, I started a, an esports company that was actually an answer to. The Bitcoin classic drama. I started a project called Bitcoin classic, which was, I guess, the first real shot at trying to change what we call the Bitcoin block size. Now that camp is mostly Bitcoin cash.
0: It's Bcash.
3: Okay, here we go. There, I just
0: want to see if we can get Roger uh, back on the show to flip us the bird. No, Actually, he was on very early. Super nice guy. And, you know, I'm, I'm open to different perspectives. No, but, uh, you know, talk about drama.
3: Roger's a good guy. He uh, he wears his heart on his sleeve. But um, and, and his fingers on his hand. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you that that, that guy, um, good friend of mine. We don't necessarily agree on everything, but I will say that guy really does put his money where his mouth is. Back in the early days of. A Bitcoin, he effectively gambled his entire company on Bitcoin being more than five bucks, and he really earned the title, in my opinion, of Bitcoin Jesus at that point. But do you think? So, do you think he? Um, let's, let's
0: get controversial here, right? Let's. Uh, do you, Do you think that um he's lost that title legitimately? Do you think? Uh, and let me just expand on that a little bit. What do you think of um Bitcoin Cash? co-opting the Bitcoin brand uh, in the confusion in the marketplace that come as a result for that.
3: So in my opinion, at this point, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, whatever, they're all legacy software. There's a lot of other far more interesting projects out there Um, about the technical and economic standpoint. So. With that being said,
0: are you being? Is that like a diplomatic answer right there? No, not really. Because I mean, they own Bitcoin.com and, and they've got the it, at Bitcoin you know Twitter address, and it's you've got to admit it is confusing. Right, wrong, you know, wh- whichever is the real Bitcoin.
3: Yeah, I, I will say that, the, and Roger will probably tell you that too. You know, he he really feels that Bitcoin Cash is Bitcoin, and to be honest, I kind of feel the same way. However. If that's how you really feel, then wouldn't you market your mm-hmm. your product that way, right? So um, I wouldn't say it's intentionally misleading. I think he's just putting his money where his mouth is again. And I can see how – let's just say from November till January never happened. Let's just say half the freaking world didn't get into crypto. I'm not sure there would have been that much – that many people upset, if that uh, makes sense. I, I, I suppose. Because if you're new and you're uneducated and you don't know the difference – Okay, I, I can buy the argument of uh, he's being intentionally misleading. However, if if this was maybe two years ago, it probably wouldn't have been much of an argument.
0: Okay, we'll let you get back on uh, topic here about some of the projects that you're uh, you're working on now, and uh, and then we'll get controversial
3: again. Yeah. So uh, after the Bitcoin Classic stuff, I kind of got fed up with the uh, you know the whole when I got into crypto, it was very community focused. It was really fun and friendly and interesting and after 2015, and it just became super toxic. And this is where people started having differences and ideologies. And I just, I was done with it at that point. I kind of sat there and thought, well, we're not going to do crypto. What are we going to do? I really fell in love with esports. I've been a a gamer my whole life and decided to start an esports company. And maybe about halfway into the first year of that, a peer-to-peer community spawned out of the esports company. And it was what, what these guys do is they trade these end game items, and kind of within a few months, there were twenty thousand people on this platform daily, and that's all they're doing. And I thought, okay, this is cool. Said, hey, can you implement some crypto wallet on the platform so that we can, you know, not have to deal with PayPal? Because if you're in, you know, if you're if you're a guy in Mexico and I'm trying to trade a, a knife in a game to some guy in Turkey. The guy in Turkey doesn't have PayPal, period. So there wasn't really a good medium of exchange. And so, so we gave him Bitcoin and then Bitcoin fees went up. They asked us for something else and something else and something else. And they finally said, hey, can you, we, we know you used to be big in crypto. Can, can you make us something? And I said, no, nah, I don't really do that anymore. And just kind of left it. And then about a month later, like 20,000 of these people filled out a petition that was basically make Marshall, make us something. And when 20,000 people kind of ask you to make them, a, for lack of a better term, an alternate payment system, you kind of just say yes. So we launched a project called eBoost on top of that. It's kind of a open source gamer crypto. And then things with the eSports company kind of grew even bigger. Now we've got some stuff going on with the Chinese government, and Swedish government, a lot of other things. So... Um, well, what is the esports company?
0: What's the website
3: for it? Yeah, It's uh GG M-O-C-K-I-T dot G-G. So, uh, G-G, Of course, as by the
0: way, I'm a lifelong gamer uh-huh. as well. Uh, I, you know, I love playing uh, Overwatch. Uh,
3: the, oh, OK. You're going to have to add me. I'm going to have to school you a little okay.
0: bit. You know? Oh, you. well, I'm sure you'll school me a lot. <laughs> I'm not good. Uh, you know, I'm gold level and and that's you know, and falling uh because you know I'm not I'm,
3: constantly rage quitting.
0: I'm not fifteen. Uh you, you know, know,
3: you're right. Your reflexes aren't aren't what they used to be.
0: No, yeah, but I have fun. I love the game and I play Junkrat and Moira and a little bit of Diva and uh oh,
3: we'll get along just and, fine.
0: And I have fun. So uh cool to see this, the Mocket League. So you've got another project that you're on that's EOS dot fish. What is that?
3: Yeah. So an interesting name for an even more interesting project. Like I said, I, I really feel that Bitcoin and uh, I mean even Litecoin and uh, to some extent is at, at this point legacy software that haven't really done anything that's, you know. I, I I know this is kind of hard to say, like you haven't done anything like you did before, but. You know, when when Bitcoin was first instantiated, that's a that's a huge deal. And I understand that you may not be able to do anything that big ever again. But basically, the software hasn't really changed beyond a, a, a payment mechanism. And that's what it was initially. But, but it wasn't it wasn't
0: designed to right. change. Right. That's why we've got Ethereum and smart contracts right. and these other blockchains that add functionality. Uh, wouldn't the Bitcoin community freak out if, you know, these other functionalities were added and it was more than a payment system?
3: Um I'm not sure about that, actually. L- let's just say that Rootstock kind of figured it out maybe four years ago. I think the crypto landscape would have would look very different
0: at this point. Okay, so this is EOS.fish. It's a BitFish project mm-hmm. um, and founded by Mr. Chun Wang, uh, who is not related to Wang Chung, I'm assuming.
3: <laughs> Unfortunately, no. But uh, so uh, my partner Chun, he, he is the CTO of F2Pool. That's one of the biggest Bitcoin mining pools. And I think maybe the biggest Ethereum mining pool, they've almost mined over, they've almost mined a million Bitcoin actually at this point. Wow! So what's cool about EOS in general is it's, uh, of course, delegated proof of stake. It's not proof of work like traditional mining, Um, but it kind of reminds me back of the early days in Bitcoin where it was very community focused. And what I mean by that is in a delegated proof of stake system, um, you know, you the the stakeholders aka the token holders get to basically talk and put their money where their mouth is so in EOS the only people who produce blocks and write to the blockchain are the top 21 people that the token holders vote for so basically we spin up a node it's a server and we ask people to vote for us let's say we're one of the top 21 if we do something that the stakeholders don't like they can just vote us out of our job. So the voting happens every two minutes in EOS. So that means if for whatever reason you're a bad actor or people don't like what you're doing, if, if there's enough consensus, then they just pull your votes and then you're out of a job. So it's, it's kind of accountability through community, which I think is very interesting. The underlying technology outside of that is, um, I think... Has the potential to disrupt Ethereum, which I think is really, really interesting at this point.
1: Why do you think it has that potential? Like, what is it about it that makes you? Uh,
3: in general, when when you have a, a and I'm not going to say Ethereum's not a community based project, but if your neighbor is mining next to you, if he's mining Ethereum, you would never know. So there's not really any sense of accountability. And that's been a problem in general for most proof of work coins. I can mine and propagate my blocks almost anonymously and I can keep doing that. And whatever I do, I could do a block withholding attack or I can I could do all kinds of things and there's nothing you can do about it. If you wanted to kick me off the network, you'd have to convince the the Bitcoin core developers to do that. Um, however, in in it's the same thing for Ethereum and all those other things. However, we're for most of these distributed proof of stake. Tokens, and in particular EOS, there are 21 people, and so you know all those 21 people, and their contact information is publicly available on the blockchain. Therefore, scaling becomes much easier if the consensus is. If you need to make a change, the consensus group to do that is very small, so you don't have things like you know. I'm not saying you don't, but the the possibility for things like the Ethereum Classic guys to break off and cause a whole bunch of confusion uh, is, is that kind of attack vectors uh, minimalized at that point. So also the block time for EOS in general, just on a pure tech basis is a lot shorter. So I, you know, we're, we're producing blocks every few seconds and that that means the throughput for EOS is automatically off the bat much, much higher.
0: So it's going to be really interesting to watch EOS. Now that the mainnet is live and, you know, the, the long ICO is over. And uh, airdrops, you know, are, are starting to happen. So we'll we'll be keeping an eye on that. So Marshall, who are the people that you're paying attention to now in the crypto space? Who are the the biggest thought leaders that you listen to?
3: Um, as far as thought leaders, th- there's kind of two camps. There are people who really, really know their stuff, but they don't, for lack of a better term, they don't practice what they preach. So a good example of that, a person I really respect, Andreas Antonopoulos. Super smart guy, knows a lot about crypto stuff in general, probably knows more about me and half the people I know. However, he doesn't hold that much crypto, which means he doesn't really believe in it that much, in my opinion. Um, And then you have other people, a good friend of mine, co-founder of Ethereum, Anthony DiOrio. Almost all his money is in crypto. And uh, I wouldn't call him a thought leader necessarily, but they're working on some pretty cool stuff over there in Toronto. Even as I, I said
0: I, that term "thought leader," I remembered how much I hate it. Uh, it <laughs> it's coming out of my mouth, and I'm thinking we all lead with our thoughts. You know, I mean, yeah. better if we're leading with our feelings, then that usually doesn't work out well. So I apologize to my audience and myself for even using that term. Uh, just the don't pe- cringe pe- too hard. People you respect.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, the the people who I I would say I respect the most are. Um, the people who have either gotten really screwed for their beliefs or people who've kind of been through the grinder because of mistakes and, and learned a lot. You know, a good example of learning from their mistakes, a good friend of mine, Charlie Shrim, he paid dearly for his mistakes and now he's doing some really crazy stuff now that he's out of prison and um he's working on some really cool tech and you know that's a guy who some feel was a martyr for crypto. Why don't you refresh um, what happened to Charlie? So Charlie is, is a guy who ran one of the earliest Bitcoin exchanges. At that time, the regulation was really kind of fuzzy and didn't really make a whole lot of sense. And uh, t- truth be told, he was kind of made an example of. Um, the exact charges, I think, were operating an unlicensed money services business. And eventually, one of the guys that he sold crypto to used that crypto on Silk Road and did whatever with it. Um, so so Charlie served, I think, 18 months in a minimum security prison in New York. But Charlie was one of the, the people that, that got me into crypto in the first place. You know, he, he speaks about the ideals more than the money side. And he's a really smart guy and he paid for his mistakes, but he didn't let it take him out of the scene, if that makes sense. And that, that takes some huge cojones to do. Other people I really respect are people who are bridging stuff with, you know, federal governments and uh, even state and local governments. Caitlin Long. I'm not sure if you've heard of her. She's doing a lot of work. I interviewed
1: her. Caitlin
3: is freaking awesome.
1: Yeah, she's she's cool. uh,
3: She's uh, used to be basically a former banker turned to the dark side now with us. And, uh, you know, she's making huge strides in uh, Wyoming. And uh, so she's kind of, spearheading a lot of things over there because you have companies like coin center and these kind of what they call regulatory nonprofit companies who try to advise, but they can only do so much within their legal framework. But people like Caitlin who are basically a wild bandit are out there slashing and burning down regulators and it's working really well. So um, say that's a taste of the people I admire in the space. Very cool.
1: Yeah. So Marshall, what are your thoughts on the future of the crypto space?
3: I guess in general, the thoughts are once people realize the price doesn't really matter that much, there's still a whole lot of work that needs to be done. I think a lot of people have gotten distracted by the price. Um, If you really think about it, there haven't been that many what I'll call really kick ass projects that have been made on top of crypto. I think in the next two years, we'll start to see that change, especially if the price starts being deflated like it is now. I think we'll see more price hikes. I think we'll see a lot more regulation. And I think we'll see a lot more dark market activity because of that regulation, which is exciting because that's how crypto started. So I think those are the things to probably look out for.
0: By the way, this uh, piece of news just, just in right now, apparently the, uh, the SEC has ruled that Ether is not a security. That's right. So that's, uh, that, that's, that's good, right? I mean, this is a positive uh, ruling. Or do you, um, do you see it? I, I
3: think it's a positive ruling, but I also think even if they ruled it a security, doesn't really matter. Uh, I mean, that ICO has been over for ages. Tons of people have already cashed out. Tons of people have already washed their original token. So even if they did claim it was a security, what are they really right, going to do but, about it?
0: But if Ether is not a security, you know, how do they apply this then to the various tokens and coins that right. are being released on Ethereum? Does this set a precedent in your mind?
3: Uh, that you know tokens are not securities so I think it sets a, a great precedent however because it's on ethereum I can develop a security token on top of on top of ethereum at this point just because it's so flexible as far as the the programming goes so I think it doesn't clear any of the erc 20 tokens but if you run a native blockchain, it definitely is a, a, a good sign for you. You're
0: so magical, Marshall. Thanks for uh, for joining us today. And uh, we'll have links in the show notes at badcode.in forward slash 142 to uh, Marshall's Twitter, which is O-G-B-T-C. How about that? He's an O-G. As well as EOS.fish and uh, your, uh, your eSports site. And uh, thanks, Rachel, for, uh, for joining and uh, taking the place of Mr. Travis Wright today.
1: Of course, you're welcome. And I know that, you know, obviously, I can't fully replace Travis, but it was definitely fun being here and talking with you guys.
3: For sure. Thanks so much, Joel. Thanks so much, Rachel. Thank you
2: to Rachel for stepping in and uh, being being Travis
0: yeah and of course we appreciate you the citizens of the republic of bad cryptopia without you we don't have a republic we don't have actually we would just be a republic of two which is really just two dudes talking crypto please make sure you subscribe and review and i don't care if i sound like a broken record because a lot of you have but a bunch of you haven't and if you enjoy the show just take 30 seconds that's all go to iTunes. Go to Stitcher. Go to wherever it is you listen. Take thirty seconds and and write us a review. And make sure you subscribe. Super important for the uh, um, the websites that you subscribe on to know that you're subscribing because that's what helps. Bring awareness to the show to people who have not yet seen it. And of course, the other thing that brings awareness is when you tell your friends. You know, that's the easiest thing. Is hey, have you heard Bad Crypto Podcast?
2: That is, you can easily say that to them. Like, why wouldn't you say that to them? Hey, Joel, have you heard Bad Crypto Podcast? Uh, Alexa, play Bad Crypto Podcast, (laughs) and then and then they can they can listen to it. It's pretty fancy.
0: Oh my gosh, stay bad, y'all, stay bad. Who's that?